Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. And this is Yolando. And as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching. And we are recording this podcast uh, at my dining room table. And my next door neighbor is sawing logs, literally. So if you hear a chainsaw, don't be distressed. This is just our glamorous, glamorous studio. So. It's not a terrible... It's horror not movie a or horror anything movie. like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's astonishing you? I am astonished by the confession I need to make today. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> this did not come. You confess nothing on our watch. I know, so. I know, I know. But it's not. It's not a moral failure. However, after twenty years of ministry, I am just now getting to the place where my teaching and preaching is emphasizing community, where my ministry is emphasizing um, community building, right? Mm-hmm. Because so much of my teaching and preaching has been around the individual, yep, yep. individual salvation, your prayer life, your relationship with Jesus, which isn't all bad. But now that I'm preaching through the core values of our church, I mean, you just can't help but think about our life together. This is about us together. And I'm saying to myself, how could I miss this all these years? I mean, I saw those one another passages, but I'm just now seeing the one another passages. But here's the thing. I know why you had that emphasis. It's the same reason I had that Mm. emphasis. And that is because the majority of our training as pastors happened at the academy happened mm. while we were in seminary. The church outsourced that work to seminaries. The seminaries, I mean, yours was a freestanding denominational seminary. Mm-hmm. Mine was attached to a university, but those seminaries were led by PhD professors that, that was their credentialing. So they were formed in the academy and the scholastic discipline, which is unapologetically individualistic yeah. and hierarchical yeah. and competitive. And those people, for 90% of the professors that I studied with, and, and this probably mm. says something particularly about the church culture that nurtured us, this wouldn't be true for some of our evangelical friends or charismatic friends. They would have different problems. Mm. But for us, 90% of the people who trained us for ministry were people who do not participate or particularly admire or believe in the local church. So, yeah. of course, we were trained to be individual gurus, mm-hmm. selecting out other individual gurus. To I mean, just yeah. there's yeah. no way that you can be taught to create a culture by people who are not interested in creating a culture, wow. right? And so, I mean, I just feel like I, I'm right there with you. Um, I, I feel like we need to have this conversation a lot and help mm. one another figure out how do we say to not just to other pastors, but to our congregations, like, hey, we, we are the only people who can create this community and this community matters. And hey, guess what? Communities make culture and culture shape individual. Yes. And so if we don't make yes. a good culture, a good Christ-centered culture in our churches, then mm. our individual Christians will be shaped by American culture, hashtag not helpful, right? So yes. I mean, I just think this is a, I mean, it takes 20 years Mm -hmm. in ministry before you realize like, oh, and that's not to say that the training you and I got in seminary wasn't valuable. 
It was. Right. It just didn't know what it didn't know. Mm. And it wasn't trying to do what it wasn't trying to do. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is just, you know, it is what it is. So I thought you were going to confess showing up for worship five minutes before worship started oh, on Sunday. Oh, Yes. Earlier today, we were sitting around with our another friend, Alan. If you think that ball pastors do is sit around in coffee shops drinking coffee, you're wrong, but Bye. not as much as you might think. <laughs> Although I don't care because all of you professionals in your white collar jobs, you spend a lot of time going to lunch and dinner and on mm. you know conference trips. But anyway, but we were talking to our friend Alan, and Alan and I were both horrified because we, I like to be at church. I like to be at church three hours before worship starts. Good And grief. I feel like I'm late if I'm not there by 7.30. So I just can't comprehend. I live a marginless life. So I just cannot comprehend. Anyway, whatever. No, you you are... And Sunday I got there five minutes before worship because we had all sorts of things going on in the house and I was running late and it was it was not... I mean, life happens. Yeah, I just am... Yeah. I just... If yeah. I need to be there three hours before, I thought that you basically slept there the night before, right? Like just in terms of knowing how we both approach things. That I'm a right, very yeah. last minute, whatever yeah. kind of person. But no, I think your real confession, I mean, that is the problem of, I mean, I will just speak for our denomination. Mm. I think that writ large is the problem yeah. of the Presbyterian Church USA. Nobody is thinking about our culture. Yeah. No one is. Yeah. So I think the denomination at large is still trying to mm. shape individuals to be individual leaders in the society not even in the you know we're not thinking about who we are as a community mm-hmm. we're thinking about can we be the kind of individuals who will change everybody else's community that's right that's but right. i mean that's the whole enchilada and then obviously it's one of those things we're like oh my gosh how did we miss this given the fact that the whole story of scripture is about god creating a communities of yes. people. And we talk about how the American church is too individualistic, which is irony because mm-hmm. we're even, even in that, even as we have that conversation, we're having it to one person thinking yeah. about that yeah. one person. Yeah. Like we're saying to individuals, you need to think more community that's right. in terms of community. We're mm-hmm. not anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'm with you. And that's why it's so hard. We were talking on the walk about how it's hard to preach community values. It's hard to do that work because for me, and again, I think this is different. I think our evangelical charismatic friends would laugh at us. <laughs> I mean, I have some and they do. Because it almost feels like you're cheating, right? Like, you know, you're doing eisegesis or you're making the text fit this task and you yeah. feel like you're doing something wrong. Whereas our friends in the evangelical branches of the church would be like, uh, duh, that's mm-hmm. the whole point. Mm-hmm. And they're not wrong. I mean, well, in many ways, we're doing what church planters do, right? Correct. When, you're, when you're planting a church, you have to think about who we are, where we're going, and creating culture. And when you are remissioning a church, Mm -hmm. when a church is transforming, you've got to think about culture and be intentional about preaching and teaching certain things to to help create that culture. Well, and I would just say that I think good pastoring, no matter where you are in that spectrum— a good pastor and good leaders are always going to be looking at the culture of the church and sure. saying, how can we grow more and more holy? How mm-hmm. can we grow more and more fruitful? How can we grow more and more faithful? Regardless of what our you know, our economics look like mm-hmm. or our numbers look like, mm-hmm. because you can have a very big successful financially successful church that doesn't that is not comprised of good culture. In fact, I would argue that some of the quickest ways to build what is externally a very successful looking congregation would be to intentionally 
do it with bad culture, right? Mm. So replicate the dominant, you know, society's version of a hierarchy mm-hmm. and a patriarchy mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. make it focused on who we hate and who mm. doesn't belong. And you're going to draw a crowd, right? That's like right. we can yeah. see in our culture that it's much easier to create a community around who we're, what we're against and what we're afraid of than to create a community of people yeah. who are bound together um, by what they're for yeah. and what they love yeah. and a practice. And that's yes. just harder work. And so mm-hmm. we always have to be looking at our culture. But I agree, it was just a big hole in my my learning in seminary, my learning to the extent that I've been connected with the denomination yeah. or continuing education as a leader. after. Yeah. And 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 when I was a kid. Like I feel mm-hmm. like I I had good community in the church that nurtured me, but I don't remember being it was just something that was in you know, I think it had been done intentionally at one point because it doesn't happen by accident, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't remember learning about it. I don't yeah. remember even as I received and was nurtured by it. I don't remember being taught now you're a part of this. Now you turn wow. and do likewise. Right. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. I think sometimes we wander into a loving church and we think, oh good, I found it. Now I'm going to, you know, good. right. So yeah, I not realizing that someone has done the work. Right, and we want to be a part culture. of it. And if yeah. we are not going to be willing to sacrifice for it, work for it, mm-hmm. you know, grow into it, it's going to stop existing. You're going to lose it. You're, I mean, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We're the keepers of the of the flame. Yeah. It just good culture does not happen spontaneously. And certainly, if we define good culture as we do by Christ-centered, Christ-breathed yes. culture, yes. that yes. because Jesus gives us our values. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, what's astonishing you? Uh, well, this is a, an anecdote. I, um, so on Sunday, um, we were finishing up worship and it was a little bit of a strange day because we were talking on the walk about how the Grove, I think very intentionally does Mother's Day. We don't. Because <laughs> like, um, it's not a Christian holiday and there's a lot of um, complicated factors in that. It has a lot to do with how the dominant culture wants to see women and yes. how the church has stamped on that. And anyway, so we just, it's just not, the theme of the day is not Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was a strange day because I think a lot of people who, who want that kind of thing in our community know this might be a good day to visit somewhere else <laughs> or go to church with your mom. Um, but, and so it was just a, kind of a strange day. It was a good day, but a strange day. I, I got a, a, an email from the friend who uploads the sermon onto the podcast because I hadn't sent it to him yet. And he's like, well, if you don't send it to me, I can just go find another church where the pastor preached on greed on Mother's Day. I'm sure (laughs) there's lots of those. That's so good. Um, Strange day. And we worship at 10. (laughs) We're done about 11.15. We weren't really having second hour because people Mm. wanted to go be with their family, which is fine. So we're just kind of all standing around talking, having Mm. extended fellowship. And a, a, a mom and her two sons came in for worship at 11, um, which happens occasionally because we worship at a different time, which is fine. And, um, and she is brand new to the country, um, via Nigeria. So she came about 1130 for worship at 11. So she's going to fit right in at the Grove. Um, but it was kind of hard because we didn't have the normal stuff to introduce her. You know, I would have loved to be able to say, okay, your son goes here and your other son goes there and come join us in this small group class. And I just Mm. didn't have the normal things to show her. Um, but I was just introducing her to some people and, um, showing the kids. We have a children's library and we're showing her sons and just thinking about like how incredibly a lot it is, you know, for, for a grown up to move from Nigeria to the United States, much less a six-year-old, an eight-year-old little boy, right? Like it's just, it, it, whatever. I can't even imagine the amount of culture shock. And 
um, it was one of those brief moments where I was able, I think, to be somewhat aware of the Holy Spirit and was introducing her to some people and just to, anyway, ended up four or five families standing around talking with her in the children's library and they feel like the Holy Spirit was able to jackhammer through to my brain and say, Kate, why don't you should pray with them, pray yeah. with mm-hmm. them, right? Mm-hmm. But not me, mm-hmm. but to say there were there are two women in particular standing in the circle who are just prayer warriors, mm-hmm. prayer leaders. And so I'm just asked if we could all make a circle and pray yeah. around them. And these two women just prayed these beautiful prayers. Wow. And wow. it was interesting talking about community because yeah. she yeah. explicitly said, and in that moment I felt like, oh gosh, duh, stop making this bigger than it needs to be. She's mm. looking for a community. She's looking for a place yeah. where she can be made welcome, where her sons can be seen, people who can help her raise her children up in the faith yeah. and be her people. And in that way, you know, I'm feeling bad because we don't have these like bright, shiny programs mm-hmm. to show her mm-hmm. and realizing, no, we we have, by the grace of God, this incredible gift to offer this yeah. beautiful woman and her children, which is to say, and if you want us to, yeah. We'll be your people, yeah. and we can pray with you, and we can That's pray good. that you will be find welcome in this yeah. land, and pray protection and safety over your sons, yeah. and pray anyway. So in that moment, I just was astonished at the beauty and the power of that, and and just how good it is when you realize the whole point of all of it is to be a Christ-centered community. That when a stranger walks in, you make a circle around her and her sons. Mm. And pray blessings over them without really, you know, who knows whether or not they'll stay or go or whatever. It doesn't matter because she's part of the body of Christ. She's a stranger in a strange land. And we have this opportunity to do this really sacred thing and make her welcome. And it was, it was beautiful. And I was. I think that's fantastic. And I think one of the, the best things you did in addition to prayer was to take her by the hand and show her the place. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I joined Idlewall Church in Memphis, um, again, um, ethnically different than me, and someone took me by the hand, come come with us. And that just lowered my anxiety. It didn't take long um, before I thought, okay, I can, I can belong here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what people need. They need a very intentional welcome. Well, and I think the reality is like if what people need, and there's nothing wrong with this, but if what people really need is like excellence and programming, I mean, we're not going to be their church, right? Well, that's that's consumer mindset, right? It is. It right? is. It is. And there's nothing so, wrong, like and I don't no, there's wrong, nothing like, wrong with it, but especially someone coming from outside of this country, yeah. they're not coming with the same consumer mindset, and so. For us to have a consumer mindset thinking, okay, if we do all things well in, in this kind of field of dreams mentality, if we build it, they will come, I think we'll continue to be disappointed. Well, I mean, I, I think mega churches who I know that God uses to the contrary, I mean, if, if we build it, they will come. But I mean, that, what are we trying to build? That's all I'm trying to say is I want to be a real Christ-breathed community. And so to some extent, and I've been thinking a lot about weakness. I'm going to preach about it in a couple of weeks. And thinking about, I I mean, I want the people at the Grove, this has gone totally off the rails, but like I want the community that I serve to have just the very best of every single thing, right? Mm-hmm, so just, mm-hmm. I, I want that for them. I'm and, and so there's something just really holy and healthy about that tension of loving people and just feeling like you 
you are worthy of the very best that the church has to offer anybody. Mm -hmm. And I want Mm -hmm. to give that to you. And also I recognize that I want this to be a place where people can become teachers and become Mm, encouragers mm -hmm. and become leaders, which means we, you know, there's no one, we got to figure out how to do these things ourselves. Mm -hmm, Right. And, mm -hmm. and, and so that's going to be a messy process and it's going to be, you know, not always, you know, not all the excellence will be externally visible all the Mm -hmm, time. And mm -hmm. you're just sort of understanding this is going to be a real community, which means real beauty and real authenticity and also means real mess and growing pains. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so but that was just a good a good thing for me to stand there and be astonished by and to say what this woman came looking for on mm-hmm. Sunday morning, the Lord provided yeah. for yeah. her. Yeah. Um, and that was really important because you know I'm beating myself up about man she missed worship and she missed know, <laughs> she yeah. didn't have all yeah. these things. Where well, I was like, oh, well, we're, we're, you know, look at God's people being able to be God's yeah. people if the preacher can get out we, of her own way. We and... so easily focus on the programming, right? 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 <sighs> they missed right. that program. Well, and the point of the programming, I think, is just so that people have meaningful ways to grow in their faith and you know, and, and meaningful reasons to come together and form relationships that are centered on Christ. That it's a means to an end. It's not the end. That's right. So anyway, I was astonished as always by the beautifulness of the people who come and Mm. stay. So, uh, what are you thinking about? Well, amazingly, it's, um, related to what we've been talking about. I've been thinking about, um, how to welcome new people into our mm-hmm. community. Um, again, confession, if I were not a pastor, because I'm an introvert, I think it's because I'm an introvert, in large measure because I'm an introvert, I would not look to join a smaller church. Yeah. I would most likely be in a fairly large church And then look to join some small group where people know my name. I don't need the pastor to know my name. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm just now getting to the place where I'm thinking about, okay, so I think I've been leading out of that. Mm -hmm. um, And now I've got to, (laughs) I got to think about other people. Um, And how do we as a smaller church that can be unintentionally, we can come across as a, as a tight family in which it's hard to find your way in, yeah. right? We don't yeah. we don't mean to come across that way. I know we don't. I, I think it would absolutely um, it would horrify many people at Dry Church if 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 they thought we came across that way to uh, our guests. But I think unintentionally, many smaller churches do because we have not really thought through how we are going to be intentional about welcoming yeah. people. Yeah. And again, that's a that's really a new thing for me. And I've, I've, I've got to um, spend much more time thinking about that. Well, I think it's interesting because I think people equate welcoming others with being friendly. And so they'll say like, oh, we're a friendly church. Mm-hmm. And that might be true. But just because you're friendly doesn't mean you're welcoming someone. And again, I feel like welcoming something is something someone well 
won't happen spontaneously. It won't happen without intentionality. And people can't welcome other people unless they really feel called and convicted and understand Mm -hmm. the spiritual purpose of that. And not just like, oh, we need more people to meet our budget, but to be able to say, like, why do we welcome people? And I I think talking a lot, we've been doing some small group stuff at the Grove, um, which is beautiful, and um, meeting in homes. But we were talking about um, last week, the, the come and see, like Jesus inviting people to come mm. and see and talking about like, what does it mean as a community to make that be our ethos of welcoming the ethos mm. of come and see instead mm. of believe this or mm. agree with us. But we were also just looking at that, that chapter in John where it's like, you know, John the Baptist sends some of his disciples to Jesus, right? There's the lamb of God and they go. And then Jesus goes. And he and, lets them go. Right, so, right, right. Yeah. So, and then Jesus um, sees, I think, I forget who he sees. He sees someone, Andrew. Nathaniel or yeah. Andrew, one of yeah. them. Jesus directly sees him and says, come and follow. Mm-hmm. And then somebody else then goes and invites a brother. And you're talking about it's those three ways. Like, yeah. did the institution help you find Jesus? Mm-hmm. Did a friend mm-hmm. or brother help you find Jesus? Or did you have That's this direct good. encounter with Jesus? Um, but it was really interesting to hear people sort of say, well, how like, how did I get here? Was mm-hmm. it because the institution of my biological family? Mm-hmm. Or was it a friend that bought me? Or was it like a direct spiritual encounter? But to really be able to say to the group, as I said before on this podcast, that I didn't, I didn't grow up in a church-going family. I didn't mm-hmm. grow up in a family that one of their goals was to make me be a Christian or to mm-hmm. pass along their faith. And so, so for me, I, I think people who grow up in the church just believe that anyone can feel welcome in that place because they always have, and they just don't recognize that if you did not grow up understanding yeah. yourself to be a Christian, then yeah. it feels like a foreign land. And yeah. you really need someone who's an insider to invite you in. And I think a lot of times people don't invite others in because they think that everybody already understands that they belong. Mm-hmm. And so it's not mm-hmm. even an ugly, like, I don't want you here. It's mm-hmm. it's hard for you to see the gift that was your birthright mm-hmm. and to see that other people are waiting for a welcome and are waiting um, for someone to give mm-hmm. them like the shibboleth. And so yeah. I think helping people understand, like, that's why people who come into our sanctuaries, especially now, I mean, they are on a spiritual journey. Like yeah, the Lord yeah. is doing something in their lives. And so to be able to say, I don't have all the answers. I'm, I'm under no illusions that my church is perfect, mm. but I, I believe that God is here and I, I'm ready to, I, I want to be faithful. I want to be a, a, you know, a signpost that the Lord might use to let you know that you're welcome as you are or that God is, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I, that, that's really. Yeah, we've been talking about, um, people in our neighborhood having um, no Christian memory, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a new thing for the folks at Dorita Church to think about uh, there are some folks close to our campus who really know very little, mm-hmm. next to nothing, about what happens on the inside of our mm-hmm. sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And so when they do come, it is just a whole new world. And if we're not intentional about helping them understand, walking them through, then it, 
it's likely not to connect. Well, and all I would say to that is, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I feel like sometimes we do a good job telling people how to welcome. Like, mm-hmm. this is how you walk mm-hmm. people through. This mm-hmm. is how they might feel. This is what you want to do. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we always do such a good job of telling people why. Why, Like, yeah. why yeah. are you welcoming this person mm-hmm. that you don't know? That it's you not might to have, save our church. Right, and yeah. you might have your suspicions that, like, oh, they wouldn't fit in, or they'll mm-hmm. never hang, or they don't see, you know, whatever. Like, But you have to know what your authentic mm-hmm. why is. Like, yeah. why is welcoming that? person an integral part of me being the disciple that I want to be right it has to be about me walking out my faith so that it's not outcome driven or performance based this is just what it means and I I feel like that that's hard um, to do that especially you're right to get it out of the anxiety zone out of the fact that like we need people to come in to save our church Mm -hmm. yet like that is not (laughs) That's so theologically problematic um, on every level. It's not our church. People aren't here. You know, the church is here to serve people. Yeah. People are not here to serve yep. the church. And yep. that's really important. So so what are you thinking about? Uh, well, I don't know if we have time to go into all of this, but I... What? What? Did you got cut off last, last podcast? <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm not going to say very much. No, 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 no. I always say very much. Come on. <laughs> You don't want to discourage me from being self-aware of how much I talk. Um, Last week when I was preparing for my... (laughs) See, when I say it, you don't have to laugh so hard. (laughs) I'm I'm trying to hold it in. (laughs) Um, Last week when I was preparing for my um, anti-greed Mother's Day sermon, I was um, studying some of the context of the rich young ruler. And just, you know, that happens right after Jesus has announced himself to be the Messiah. And mm-hmm. I was reading some um, Yoder about that and just mm-hmm. about how Jesus, you know, the, there's this thing called the Messianic secret in Mark and this idea that in the gospel of Mark, Jesus is very um, hesitant and reticent. He does not tell people that he's the Messiah. He, mm-hmm. he, want, he does not want that getting out. And I feel like that's something you learn in seminary you know, but you don't really talk about the the why of it. Mm-hmm. It's just something mm-hmm. that is. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. Yoder was saying, like, listen, the reason that Jesus didn't talk about being the Messiah is because he had to redefine what the Messiah was That's good. before that label could go on them, right? And he, like, once people knew that he was the Messiah, they would start listening and seeing him through the lens of what they thought the Messiah was. And he needed them to know him. Mm -hmm. um, And then so that he could redefine the label instead of the label defining him. So that just made so much sense to me. And then I was reading another quote of his, because I have some friends and, you know, I've done some reading in feminist and womanist um, theology, which I find helpful. Um, But one of the things that is troubling to me is there's a strand in feminist theology that really talks about um, the damage that um, a narrative, a theology of suffering can do for women. Mm. Um, Now, I I would argue, you know, a a malformed Mm. theology of suffering, right? Um, But, but, I mean, I take their point to say that for, for millennia, people have taken Jesus on the cross and that idea that Jesus' suffering on the cross was redeemed by God and used that against all oppressed people. So women, slaves, to say basically, you know, abused wives, to say, just stay in your suffering, um, accept it as God's will for yeah. you, and to God will redeem means it. To accept injustice. Correct, right. And and so to the extent that feminists speak against that, I'm, I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. But I do think that key to the cross is this 
revelation mm. that God redeems suffering, right? And Yoder had this great quote about saying, like, you can say that without falling into that trap of, like, re-oppressing oppressed people when you understand that the kind of suffering that Jesus did on the cross was a very particular kind of suffering. And I wrote this down saying, like, because the suffering that Jesus did was on the cross. And mm. he says, the cross of Calvary was not a difficult family situation. It was not a frustration what? of visions of personal fulfillment. It was not a crushing debt or a nagging in-law. It was the political, logically to be expected result of a moral clash with the powers ruling the society. So when we talk about God redeeming suffering and the suffering of the cross mm. being redemptive, it's not all suffering. It's the suffering of the cross, and the suffering on the cross was a particular kind of suffering, that, and Jesus was willing to risk getting that kind of suffering, which was totally predictable when he was challenging the oppressive powers and principalities of the day. So if you're going to say that God redeems suffering, then you need to say like the kind of suffering, not that reinforces right. oppression, mm -hmm. but the kind of suffering that results from a person who morally challenges that and stands up against yeah. it. And I just felt like that was such a pithy way yeah. of, you know, reclaiming that. And that also helps interpret a text like, if you would be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. Right. Because how often do we hear people say things like, um, oh, such and such is not going well in my family. I guess that's my cross to bear. Right. Like, no, right. no, 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 yeah, no. Like the, the suffering caused by the broken, oppressed, uh, you know, diseased system, mm -hmm. that's not what we're supposed to bear. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to bear whatever price we have to pay for telling the truth yes. and standing against yes. those powers and principalities, mm -hmm. whether that's an abusive spouse mm -hmm. or, you know, an oppressive government mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever it is. I think Jesus is saying, look, if you stand up against these things, do not expect a rose garden. Do not expect a ticker tape parade. Expect to suffer, yes. but know that that kind of suffering is redeemed. Now, that's not to say, like, I, I think people who are suffering injustice, I'm, I'm not to say that they're wrong for suffering injustice. I just don't want them to think that God is somehow, you know, pleased with that, right? Right. And, or that it's not to say that God isn't with them in their suffering. It's mm -hmm. just, well, there was another quote by Placard well, that I really liked, and he said, like, to to go and and seeking to be persecuted is a form of pathology, not a way of following Christ, mm. right? So mm. to say basically like, well, anytime I'm suffering, I'm glorifying God, no. <laughs> but when we're suffering as a result of trying to live faithfully to the gospel without counting the cost yeah. of what it will lose or what powers might come against us, that is glorifying God. So yeah. that's what I'm thinking about. And it is what... Um, King called redemptive suffering. Correct, yeah. correct. And so that, you know, again, like I just believe that God can redeem all things, but anytime that the gospel is used to justify just the continuation or perpetuation mm. of, you know, dominant oppressive systems, that's just blasphemy. Yeah. And and we need to know the difference. So mm, that's good. Yeah, I don't wow. know. I'm gonna have to find a way to preach that sometime yeah. soon. <laughs> Maybe that'll well, be in June, right? Yes. Oh, I thought this was coming up this Sunday. Well, no, it doesn't. You know, sometimes you're just studying a text and you're studying all around the text and you find something really good. But, well, this is the difference between you and me. <laughs> I'm like, no, I don't know what that's like. I know, I know. We were joking on the way over here that he's going to start Philippians in the middle of June. Dear listeners, 
And he thinks, because he doesn't know himself, he thinks he's going to be done with the, what is Philippians? Five it's, chapters? It's six six chapters. chapters? He thinks it's he's going to be done with six chapters of Philippians by the beginning of August. And I say, <laughs> no, you will be done by Advent. Anyway, because every good thing that you find, you put in that week's sermon. Well. And I... Try to leave a lot on the cutting room floor. I have the opposite problem. Sometimes I leave almost every good thing on the cutting room floor, but you... Yes. Anyway, so that is what I'm thinking about, and this is a very long podcast. What are you preaching this week? I am preaching Colossians 3.16. This is the third of our core values, uh, the core value of of teaching and learning. And uh, the text says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. And again, it's that one another uh, that's getting my attention. Uh, When we were working with a consultant on our core values and we got to um, uh, the value of teaching and learning, he really Mm -hmm. helped us to lean into that. And he says, well, you know, on the surface, this sounds like a very consumer oriented value where you get, you know, your teacher, your, your preacher to teach you and individually, con- yeah, individually. <laughs> yes. And the, and the congregation is passive receivers, right? Mm-hmm. So, no, this value is about being a community of people who both learn and teach. And that's what the text says. And again, I've never really seen this text before. So, um, that's what we're going to focus on uh, this Sunday is being a community in which the word of Christ, the gospel dwells in us so richly that we can not only receive it taught by others, but also um, uh, speak to one another in ways that give advice, that guide, that maybe even correct. And are you, are you I was going to say, are you going to use the A word because... Admonish? Oh, I, I love nothing. I, I mean, love I think admonish. that is, is really um, important and risky yeah. and fruitful to just mm. sort of say, hey, we all we all know so many ways that this could go wrong. Mm. Um, and, and we, I think, sometimes prefer to be safe in our communities, even sanitize our communities and say, like, that's not my problem. That's not my business. But to say, you know, regardless of whether or not we can live into this at this time, regardless of whether we have the spiritual maturity or the relational equity to be a community that admonishes one another, we at least should tell the truth that this is God's desire for our communities, that we would be so centered on Christ, so so in love with one another's mm. goodness that we would be willing to risk our relationships with one another by in order by telling the truth, even when that yeah. truth is hard to hear. And and really a community that's eager to admonish one another is not a community that should be, mm. but a community, but I mean, to still be able to say like, that's how important it yeah. is yeah. that this community is healthy and holy because yeah. again, like, I don't care what I don't care how wise of a guru your pastor is. Really, pa- admonishing that's healthy can't come from pastor to member. I don't think, but it can come from friend to friend, right? It yeah, can. Well, I think I'm going to use an example of something that happened in my own life early on in ministry. Well, within the first um, six or seven years, um, I had another pastor, a senior, uh, more experienced pastor, take me to lunch one day. And he said, <laughs> we were enjoying lunch. And he said, Hinton, I'm quoting. He said, Hinton, you are not God. Take a break. You work too much. You're trying too hard. Hmm. It's okay to rest. And he admonished me. And he was 
absolutely right. And I could receive it as care, concern, correction. And I want to lift that up as an example of, of admonishing one another. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you another story that you're welcome to use. Cause I, I think that, um, so I was talking to a, a very, very good friend, um, who has been so faithful to me, particularly as a spiritual director, particularly mm. because she has admonished me mm. in times where she would tell me things that were really hard for me to hear. Mm. But even at the time I just, I was hurting and I was stuck and I was overwhelmed and I really needed, like at one point she said to me, like, you love your ministry more than God. Like that hurts, but it was so true and it was so what I needed Mm -hmm. to hear. Someone who would say like, this is not going to end well unless Mm -hmm. you figure out how to like reinvert that pyramid, right? Like you can't anyway. So, so I, I was sitting with her years later and she was sort of sharing about how, you know, she worried that if she ever went off the rails, you know, would anybody would anybody catch her? Would anyone tell the truth to her? And I immediately mm. said, oh, I would. Like, I wouldn't let you just go. And she just looked right back at me and she said, no, you wouldn't. You absolutely wouldn't. Because she was saying that she she knew that I, you know, I'm, I, I really struggle with being conflict avoidant. I really prize a relationship. I have yeah. a hard time. You know, there are certain people in my life that I honor and put on a pedestal. And she was just saying, like, I can't feel safe with you telling me because you wouldn't tell me. And wow. it's one of those moments where I realized, like, you know, my hesitant wow. to to admonish people because I don't trust myself and because I don't mm. want to risk the relationship and I won't. Like, that's just so unloving. And it makes people feel so unsafe mm. to know that in the community... Mm. People might see something dangerous or, or or diseased, you know, growing out and just knowing that everyone else would go, well, it's not my place, it's not my place, not my place, and just let them, you know, drift off to perdition, right? Like, yeah, like go off a cliff. And, right, and, and we sorry. really, we really hurt one another. And once again, you know, that the recovery community leads the way in this, that they'll say, no, we know what it's like to have an intervention. And I've been a part of an intervention before, and it's ugly, and it does not feel good, and the person gets mad at you. But the reality is the recovery community has saying, this is life or death. This isn't cute. This isn't a matter of like, oh, I don't feel like it today. I mean, like if you do not live out this holy responsibility, people's lives are at stake. And I think, again, like to that's a tool that if turned into a weapon can destroy a person and destroy a community. But when we throw the tool out of our toolbox, we yeah. also destroy people and destroy communities. And so that's just a really interesting passage that I won't be preaching on. So good luck I was with say, that. I'm typing notes into my phone right now because... <laughs> I want to mention that on Sunday. I I think you're exactly right. The recovery community does that well because they see it as a matter of life and death. And it is. And I mean, I would say it a million trillion times. The recovery community lives out the gospel far better than the local church. Because if you're doing the 12 steps, you're taking the, the revelation of Jesus Christ really, really seriously. So I, this week, am preaching on weakness, how to follow God through weakness, and... I'm going to say a lot of stuff, but I've already said a lot of stuff, so I'm going to end this podcast today. And if anyone wants to hear me talk about why you should be weak um, to grow in Christ, then uh, you can check out the Grow podcast. Great teaser. Great teaser. (laughs)